Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's no life in that stir. It managed, though, to knock over something in my head. What would you have done? You are sure of yourself, aren't you? What would you do if you felt now, this minute, the house here move, just move a little under your chair. Leap, by heavens! You would take one spring from where you sit and land in that clump of bushes yonder. He flung his arm out at the night beyond the stone balustrade. I held my peace. He looked at me very steadily, very severe. There could be no mistake. I was being bullied now, and it behooved me to make no sign, lest by a gesture or a word I should be drawn into a fatal admission about myself, which would have had some bearing on the case. I was not disposed to take any risk of that sort. Don't forget I had him before me, and really he was too much like one of us not to be dangerous. But if you want to know, I don't mind telling you that I did, with a rapid glance, estimate the distance to the mass of denser blackness in the middle of the grass-plot before the veranda. He exaggerated. I would have landed short by several feet, and that's the only thing of which I am fairly certain. <laughs> The last moment had come, as he thought, and he did not move. His feet remained glued to the planks as if his thoughts were knocking about loose in his head. It was at this moment, too, that he saw one of the men around the boat step backward suddenly, clutch at the air with raised arms, totter, and collapse. He didn't exactly fall. He only slid gently into a sitting posture, all hunched up, and with his shoulders propped against the side of the engine-room skylight. That was the donkey-man, a haggard, white-faced chap with a ragged moustache. Acted third engineer, he explained. Mm, dead, I said. We had heard something of that in court. So they say, he pronounced with sombre indifference. Of course I never knew. Weak heart. The man had been complaining of being out of sorts for some time before. Excitement, overexertion, devil only knows. <laughs> it was easy to see he did not want to die either. Droll, isn't it? May I be shot if he hadn't been fooled into killing himself. Fooled! Neither more nor less. Fooled into it, by heavens, just as I— Ah, oh, if he had only kept still— if he had only told them to go to the devil when they came to rush him out of his bunk because the ship was sinking. 
if he had only stood by with his hands in his pockets and called them names. He got up, shook his fist, glared at me, and sat down. A chance missed, eh? I murmured. Why don't you laugh? he said. A joke hatched in hell. Weak heart. I wish sometimes mine had been. This irritated me. "'Do you?' I exclaimed, with deep-rooted irony. "'Yes. Can't you understand?' he cried. "'I don't know what more you could wish for,' I said angrily. He gave me an utterly uncomprehending glance. This shaft had also gone wide of the mark, and he was not the man to bother about stray arrows. Upon my word, he was too unsuspecting. He was not fair game.' I was glad that my missile had been thrown away, that he had not even heard the twang of the bow. Of course he could not know at the time the man was dead. The next minute, his last on board, was crowded with a tumult of events and sensations which beat about him like the sea upon a rock. I use the simile advisedly, because from his relation I am forced to believe he had preserved through it all a strange illusion of passiveness, as though he had not acted, but had suffered himself to be handled by the infernal powers who had selected him for the victim of their practical joke. The first thing that came to him was the grinding surge of the heavy David swinging out at last, a jar which seemed to enter his body from the deck through the soles of his feet, and travel up his spine to the crown of his head. Then, the squall being very near now, another and a heavier swell lifted the passive hull in a threatening heave that checked his breath, while his brain and his heart together were pierced as with daggers by panic-stricken screams. "'Let go! For God's sake, let go! Let go! She's going!' Following upon that, the boat-falls ripped through the blocks, and a lot of men began to talk in startled tones under the awnings. "'When these beggars did break out, their yelps were enough to wake the dead,' he said. Next, after the splashing shock of the boat literally dropped in the water, came the hollow noises of stamping and tumbling in her, mingled with confused shouts. "'Unhook! Unhook! Shove! Unhook! Shove for your life! Here's the squall down on us!' He heard, high above his head, the faint muttering of the wind. He heard below his feet a cry of pain. A lost voice alongside started cursing a swivel-hook. The ship began to buzz fore and aft like a disturbed hive, and as quietly as he was telling me all of this, because just then he was very quiet in attitude, in face, in voice, he went on to say, without the slightest warning, as it were, "'I stumbled over his legs.' This was the first I heard of his having moved at all. I could not restrain a grunt of surprise. Something had started him off at last. But of the exact moment of the cause that tore him out of his immobility, he knew no more than the uprooted tree knows of the wind that laid it low. All of this had come to him, the sounds, the sights, the legs of the dead man, by Jove. The infernal joke was being crammed devilishly down his throat. But, look you, he was not going to admit any sort of swallowing motion in his gullet. 
It's extraordinary how he could cast upon you the spirit of his illusion. I listened as if to a tale of black magic at work upon a corpse. He went over sideways, very gently, and this is the last thing I remember seeing on board, he continued. I did not care what he did. It looked as though he were picking himself up. I thought he was picking himself up, of course. I expected him to bolt past me over the rail, and drop into the boat after the others. I could hear them knocking about down there, and a voice as if crying up a shaft called out, "'George!' Then the three voices together raised a yell. They came to me separately. One bleated, another screamed, one howled. Ugh! He shivered a little, and I beheld him rise slowly, as if a steady hand from above had been pulling him out of the chair by his hair. Up, slowly, to his full height, and when his knees had locked stiff, the hand let him go, and he swayed a little on his feet. There was a suggestion of awful stillness in his face, in his movements, in his very voice, when he said, "'They shouted.' and involuntarily I pricked up my ears for the ghost of that shout that would be heard directly through the false effect of silence. "'There were eight hundred people in that ship,' he said, impaling me to the back of my seat with an awful blank stare. Eight hundred living people, and they were yelling after one dead man to come down and be saved. "'Jump, George, jump!' Oh, jump! I stood by with my hand on the David. I was very quiet. It had come over pitch dark. You could see neither sky nor sea. I heard the boat alongside go bump, bump, and not another sound down there for a while, but the ship under me was full of talking noises. Suddenly the skipper howled, Mein Gott! The squall! The squall! Shove off! With the first hiss of rain and the first gust of wind they screamed, Jump, George! We'll catch you! Jump! The ship began a slow plunge. The rain swept over her like a broken sea. My cap flew off my head. My breath was driven back into my throat. I heard as if I had been on the top of a tower another wild screech, George! Oh, jump! She was going down down, head first under me. He raised his hand deliberately to his face, and made picking motions with his fingers as though he had been bothered with cobwebs, and afterwards he looked into the open palm for quite half a second, before he blurted out, I had jumped. He checked himself, averted his gaze. It seems, he added, his clear blue eyes turned to me with a piteous stare, and looking at him, standing before me, dumbfounded and hurt, I was oppressed by a sad sense of resigned wisdom, mingled with the amused and profound pity of an old man helpless before a childish disaster. "'Looks like it,' I muttered. "'I knew nothing about it till I looked up,' he explained hastily. And that's possible, too. You had to listen to him as you would to a small boy in trouble. He didn't know. It had happened somehow. 
it would never happen again. He had landed partly on somebody and fallen across a thwart. He felt as though all his ribs on his left side must be broken. Then he rolled over and saw vaguely the ship he had deserted uprising above him, with the red side-light glowing large in the rain like a fire on the brow of a hill seen through a mist. She seemed higher than a wall. She loomed like a cliff over the boat. I wished I could die, he cried. There was no going back. It was as if I had jumped into a well, into an everlasting deep hole. End of chapter 9